Luke chapter 18. I thought, you know, there's so many places that the Word of God teaches us the grace of God. I mean, it's everywhere. Um, but I, So it's, it's everywhere so much so that I love to see it pop out in illustrations you wouldn't think that it would be in there or teaching it. And so when we talk about the publican and the Pharisee, I, I felt like this was a good place where it popped out. And Luke chapter 18, verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. When we talk about the grace of God, the very first thing we want to define, and all of us know this, um, grace is God's unmerited favor. Um, we'll be looking at a different contrast of what grace is not and what grace is, but we see that grace is not mercy. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. And when we look at the publican and the Pharisee and we start looking at, okay, grace is unmerited favor. That means free. You see, we're justified freely. That means without a cause. There was something not in me that deserved God's favor. God had favor upon me without a cause found in me. I, I didn't say the right thing. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Uh, it wasn't who I was born from um, or the decisions I've made in my life. It is God and God alone who had his grace upon me. I deserved justice. I deserved punishment. So he and his mercy did not do that, and, but he and his grace gave me a gift. So when we start thinking about the publican and the Pharisee, which one do you think had a proper view of grace. Now, we often associate the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee, as we often associate him as not justified, as a lost person who believes that salvation's in the works of the law and everything. And that's true. And often I do that as well with this, with this story. But we see many, many times that even Christians lose focus of what God's grace is, and they act pharisaical. They act like a Pharisee. Now, what was the Pharisee's prayer? The Pharisee's prayer was, God, thank you for giving me this much value. Thank you for giving me this much self-value. Thank you for giving me the, all the things that are right, and you have, you have given me all this piety so that way I can look at others and everything that's wrong and be above them. You, give, you have saved me to a place of condemnation. You have saved me to a place where I can be everybody's judge because I'm so much better. 
And some Christians feel that way. Some Christians, they lose focus of what God's grace is. They think that God has bestowed upon them uh, the ability, and I, I might say this later in the message, it's kind of been on my mind a while this morning, is some Christians believe that God is honored and people come to Christ by others seeing how wonderful you are and not telling a lie. How wonderful you are at restraining from sin. Is that really how God is glorified? Is that really how God, people come to the Lord? When, when you walk up and, and you say, you know, um, I am so much better than you are. Well, does peop do people want to hear that? No, God is glorified and people come to Christ when they see a publican on their chest who is being forgiven of their sins and who is nothing but a dead dog just the same as they are and how God is compassionate and he saves and he brings forgiveness and God is the one that grants it. He, he's the one that gives mercy. He's the one by his grace has saved us and so many times Christians forget that. They believe that they've been saved to be God's policemen. Now, when you do that, there's a danger of being puffed up in pride, being cold, being distant, being a better than thou, being the perception of what the world has already of Christians. As someone who's just filled with hate, filled with, you know, a judgmentalism, uh, no compassion, they're cold. Well, I chose to do this. I sacrificed this. If I sacrifice this, I'm not going to have pity on the person who is over their head in sin because they didn't sacrifice what I sacrificed. They don't deserve compassion. They don't deserve to be forgiven because they didn't sacrifice like I do. Isn't that a pharisaical attitude? Aren't you losing focus of grace? Isn't it God's prevenient grace? Isn't it God's uh, restraining grace that you are not as corrupt as you can be? You know, in so many times that we forget that what we have is by the grace of God. It's a gift of God. And that's what even Paul says. Why do you boast about what you have when it was God who gave it to you? And you were undeserving of that to begin with. Because if it were not by grace, I would be just as wicked. I would be in the same swamp. I would be in the same sloth. But it was by God's grace, he saved me. He changed me. He gave me victory. He gave me hope. He gave me understanding of darkness, understanding of sin, that sin ruins my life. Uh, that what I used to think was pleasurable and entertaining to me, uh, God has turned the lights on with the Holy Spirit, and you see it for what it really is. It's death. Paul even talked about that. When we, when we become dead to Christ, we're alive in the God, we, we serve the Lord. Those things which we used to do so vehemently, weren't those on the pathway to death? Weren't those things that we used to be proud to do, happy to do, love to do, wasn't that on a pathway to destruction? And so we have woke up. The Lord has woke us up by his grace to do that. So I felt like that it was a really uh, great publican and Pharisee uh, demonstration of here's the publican who knows he needs God's mercy. He knows that 
And within himself lies guilt. That's his self-worth. Within the Pharisee, he's thanking God, uh, not for shedding his merciful, graceful love upon him, despite what he is. He's thanking God that God has made him something in his self-righteous state that he can walk around and be proud in. That's the difference. And you don't have to be a lost person to have that attitude. We see that a lot, unfortunately. And unfortunately, the world sees that. And then they base their opinion of Christians off that. Uh, But what they need to see is, I love this. I don't know if it was Spurgeon, but they need to see uh, one beggar telling another beggar where, where to find bread. Now, the Lord does, once he saves us, we are, he changes us. Where we hate sin, we love righteousness, we love his word, especially the more you're in word, the more that you're in the word of God, the more that you're in prayer, the less that you, 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 you walk, you go to bed at the end of the day with the stain of the world on you because you've been fighting all day to keep it off of you. Um, but that should never lead us to a resentful attitude. Uh, as we see in the Psalms, uh, you know, look, Lord, all these wicked people, they're prospering. Why, why is everything they're doing touching? Everything they touch is turning to gold. Why, why do they have such a happy life? And why am I being afflicted and being mocked and being ridiculed? And I mean, think of Lazarus. That actually, the children are, are learning about Lazarus um, and the rich man in, in Sunday school this morning. And so think about Lazarus begging at the streets. Think about where Lazarus is now and for eternity. Would you rather have been the rich man or Lazarus? And that, I'd rather have been Lazarus in glory with the Lord rather than having this gold and, uh, for a short amount of time. But understanding grace, I, I, I really wanted to come in with that. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to try and get through all of these. Uh, most of these you already know. But salvation is of grace. There's a few things that we want to look at and then we won't take too long on those things and I don't have my watch so I'm not sure um, what time I guess when I start seeing people waiting at the door I know it's time to stop. Every Christian should thank God for grace. Every Christian should say, uh, thank God for grace. So in Romans 6, 17, it says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered you. Salvation is of grace, both in its, all in its planning, its working, and completion. It's all by God. God's the architect. God's the builder. All of it, it, it arrives, it derives. It has been eternally in the mind of God to work out all things according to his grace. God uh, made the plan and he works the plan and he'll complete the plan. God sets, I love this, God sets the gospel table and then he gives us the appetite for the bread of life to come unto him. And through the Holy Spirit, he makes us willing in the day of his power. Now this is not an external compulsion uh, that would violate free will. It's rather an internal compulsion. That's the eye of tulip, the irresistible grace. It's an internal compulsion. And that is that the sinner becomes willing. God does not violate the free will of man. 
God just turns your lights on with the Holy Spirit and makes you more than willing than ever. Nobody, when once they once the Lord shows them their their right state before Him or their their wrong state before Him, no one is going to not want to be saved. They're going to want to be saved. They'll, they will become willing, and it'll be by what they perceive as their choice. Um, you know, I was raised. I've, I've, I've kind of wanted it both ways, and I can't have it both ways. I, I've always wanted to experience what it was like being Arminian or being in free will, Baptist, being then, and then the Lord revealing to me grace. But that's not my story. That's not what happened to me. Uh, did it happen? How many did it happen to you? And I've always wanted that feeling uh, because I grew up in grace. I grew up in sovereign grace. I was taught grace as a youth all the way up. So it, it was never, and the same thing with salvation. Have you ever noticed that? Even Jesus talks about who, who loves him more, the ones that are forgiven much or the ones that are forgiven little. And so he says, you see this woman who's wiping my feet with her hair and in tears. And, and the disciples were like, why is she going through all of that? And it, because she's been forgiven much. When I was saved, I was eight years old. Not to say that I was uh, a little sinner. I mean, there, there really is no relative of, uh, a degree of sinner if you're under total depravity. But um, I was not saved later in life, you know, having been in a biker gang or uh, addicted to drugs or in prison. Uh, who do you imagine is, is holding on and crying more? The ones who are forgiven more, the ones who are forgiven little. So I've often wondered both experiences. I've only got my experience. You've only got your experience. But people have two kinds of experience there, you know. They, they have, some people are just uh, zeal, 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 because if you look and see what, how God changed their life, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it was a 180 in their life. And, um, and then you see some who are preacher's kids who kind of, they get out, or not just preacher kids, but Christian kids, those who are raised in, in Christianity, they're not really used to that uh, being plunged into sin and, and feeling that despair of where sin has left them in their life. And then the Lord shining his light upon their hearts and them, I mean, having this sudden surge of victory and hope and redemption in Christ. And uh, sometimes those, the, the kids like me who did not sense those things, um, you may not see me running down the street knocking on as many doors as somebody who was just saved and they were a horrible person living their life. So it really is interesting to see. Um, so those who were saved much are going to love much. You know, Those who are saved from a lot, what they feel like a lot, they're going to have a lot more pep to their step, it seems like, and especially right away. Um, but all of that is by grace. All of that is an internal compulsion. All of that is through the gift of the Holy Spirit, which God gives you to regenerate you, to quicken you, to make you alive. Uh, and then you believe. It's a for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Even when Apollo in Acts, we uh, were in Acts a little while ago, there's a portion where uh, Apollo 
went to Appalachia to help the believers, and it says, he helped them much which had believed through grace. So in a word, salvation is by grace. All those who believe and all those who are born again were saved by grace, by God's grace. God had to act upon them. So when we look at kind of the definitions of grace, we know it's charis. It's used 150 times in the New Testament. But there's really, uh, there's, it's one of those words where you can't make one sentence definition for it and it satisfy all of the applications we see in the Word of God for it. Uh, we generally see three different ways it's applied. Um, as, as far as our lesson goes this morning, this would be a good, a good thing to remember, these three different ways. We see grace as one of God's attributes. Um, God's attitude of love and favor towards sinners. So Genesis 6, 8 says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So it is one of God's attributes of love and favor. We see that in the word of God. Number two, we see grace when God acts. Not just who the person of God is, but when God acts on a sinner's behalf or their good. Ephesians 2, 5, for by grace are you saved. And third, we see it in the fruits or effects of inward change produced by Grace produced by the Holy Spirit. If you would turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter eight. So we see it used in this third way. Now, this, each one of these points, of course, is a long lesson, and this is a huge topic, and we're not going to be able to uh, look at it exhaustively. But look at, at a way that grace is used in the Word of God, not only as the attribute of God, that we have found favor in His eyes and the action of God, that we are, He has saved us by His grace, but also when the Lord does save you, and he regenerates you. And within you is the fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Even those things are by grace. Romans, or I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God, bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. Now what produces joy? The Holy Spirit, Right? The Holy Spirit produces the joy. It produces the peace that passes all understanding. It's not just some emotional happiness, but it's actual God-given joy. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. So the gift of giving, despite the fact that it would have made more sense for them to hold on to the money, they gave. And if you notice something that is sharp here, what was the outside influence? The outside influence was their affliction, right? That was the world that they lived in. They were being afflicted from the outside. But what was greater? What was greater is the joy they had on the inside. They had a liberation on the inside. 
And that was produced through the Holy Spirit. That's by grace. That's not something we earned. That's something God has given each and every one of us who believe in him, who have the Holy Spirit. We all have this, uh, this wonderful sense of victory of a, you know, in the accomplishments that God has promised us. We all have this hope despite our circumstances. The world is going to heap on circumstances, but what is greater is what's in us. He that is in us is greater, right? So verse 3 says, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So this Gentile church was giving a gift to Paul who was going back to Jerusalem. And Paul was hoping to unify the Gentile and the Jewish church. Uh, by the Gentiles offering this gift, and the Jews receiving it, they received that the Gentiles are now my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that was Paul's intention. And, but it was these churches in Macedonia going under persecution, going under famine, going under uh, being hunted, all these things. Very, I mean, they probably lost their jobs. I mean, it cost them everything to profess Christ. But yet what they did have, they were willing to give. And it said... Uh, the riches of their liberality. That means without pretense. They gave without expecting anything in return. They gave without expecting a blessing in return. That's something, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to give, and brother, you don't have to pay me back. But I do expect God to bless me. That's not the way they gave. That's not the way we do give. We give out of the riches of our liberality because of everything that God has given us. He's going to provide us. And so we do it to honor God, praise God, bring glory to God. If God can get just a little bit of glory in this sacrifice or, you know, that's my motive is the glory of God and the love of others. It's not to, re, to get anything back, whether blessing or uh, repayment. So that is produced by the Holy Spirit and that is also an application that we see from the word of God of grace. So not only do we see the attribute of God, the action of God, but also the fruits of the spirit that are within us or by the grace of God. Now, a lot of the times what we'll do with grace is contrast it with other doctrine to get kind of a sharper image of what grace is. Grace contrasted with law. John chapter 1, verse 17, the law came by Moses. Right here. Law came by Moses and grace and truth by Jesus Christ. The nature of the law is to demand and give earnings. So the nature of the law is to demand and give what you've earned based off of your performance of that demand. The nature of grace gives. It does not demand. And we see the nature of grace gives blessings. Christ has fulfilled. It's amazing. So because by grace you are saved through faith, Christ has fulfilled the demands of the law and then paid what I earned from it. And by grace has given me forgiveness of sins, has given, imputed me 
his righteousness. So in contrast, we see grace versus law. We see that that is what the difference is between those. Now we also see the grace, and I'm going fast, I know I'm skipping over 10 years worth of, of, of study in that, okay? We also see that, that uh, grace is greater than our sins. That's, look at with me the Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 21. He says that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, but up in verse, let's see, verse 20. Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's the sinner's hope. That's where we put our hope. We understand the power, or we don't fully understand. We definitely feel the effect of the, the reign of sin and death. We understand that it is something that nobody is figuring out how to sidestep, get out of. Seems like we're pretty pinned down with sin and death. Seems like... Um, and until, unless the Lord returns, no one is staying away from death. So we see the power and the grip of it. So we understand that. But isn't it wonderful that we see that grace is greater? The reign of grace is greater than the reign of sin and death. The kingdom of God's grace and the life which he gives is a greater kingdom is a greater king, is a more powerful king than the kingdom and the reign of sin and death. And that is what we put our hope in. We, we see sin, we see despair, we see grief, we see sorrow, we see decay. We know it's powerful. No one's escaping. But it, we put our hope in his being greater. And isn't that wonderful that his grace is greater, his kingdom is greater. He has delivered. And that is what it, it is talking about when we contrast grace with sin. Grace is greater than all our sin. Sin condemns, but grace gives eternal life. Um, all right, where are we? Okay. So, as we keep going, we also see the contrast between grace and works in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So salvation is by grace from our creator, not earned from the works of the creature. That sounds easy, but take a grip of that. <laughs> Look at the world religion. I mean, there's all Aren't we just creatures trying to earn our way to heaven? Isn't every creature of the creator earning or trying to earn their way to heaven with good deeds and this and that? That's not grace. Grace is not something you earn. It must be God's unmerited favor. And so the world religion, the world system, 
wants to put the value of our performance and our ability to be pleasing to God. And there's big religions that base their faith on that. I think of Islam, those seven pillars that they have to do. Those are all works. They have to do, they have to make their, what do they call it, their homage, the Mecca. They've got to to visit Mecca. That's one of them. Then they've got to, like, uh, save somebody um, somehow. Do some act of heroism and saving somebody from the, the clutches of death and everything. So they're so, they've got to check these things off. And there's billions of people who believe that. And really with the word of God and Christianity, and you know, it makes sense to us because we've been enlightened, we've been illumined by the Holy Spirit. It makes the most sense to us that God would receive all the glory for his salvation, which he has offered in his son, in Jesus Christ, to where his name's above every name. Every knee will bow. Everyone will praise him for his grace, for not what we deserve, but what he has given us. It makes sense to us that that would be the, the, the grand design and scheme of our creator, to be glory and worship forever and ever and ever because of what he has done in his greatness to us, his pity that he has taken upon us, his mercy and his love upon us. And not only has he delivered us inwardly from the power of sin, one day he's going to deliver us from the presence of sin and we'll forever be with him, forever and ever. It makes sense to us, and that's what the Bible teaches us. Um, But it does not make sense to those who are in the religious works. They feel like it's very performance-based. And that is missing grace completely. Now, here's the thing. You know that Roman literature, Roman Catholic literature, has grace in it just as much as any Baptist literature. The difference is, is how they apply it. How they're applying grace. They they say that you can receive grace through sacraments. They, They believe you can earn grace. And that is something that you just do not earn. It's given freely by God. Um, So we see the difference with the grace and the works. And I know, like I said, I'm not doing it much justice, but grace must exclude boasting, pride. Works must include boasting and pride. God is not obligated to have grace. Grace finds us as beggars and leaves us as debtors. Grace finds us as beggars and leaves us as debtors, just as the publican. Now, we see some other areas of grace that we're not going to be able to fully develop, but we've talked about the reign of grace. Let me quickly give you just some things to think about with the reign of grace. Everything, once you see sovereign grace, once you see God's grace, you see it in everything. You see it in all the doctrine. You see that grace reigns lawfully. It reigns in Jesus Christ. It reigns in every phase of salvation. It reigns in God's foreknowledge. It reigns in unconditional election. Um, It reigns in predestination. Predestination is to determine the destiny of anything beforehand. 
Predestination is never said to be unto damnation, but unto salvation. God causes nobody to be damned. Sin is a thing that damns men. So we start getting into more complicated doctrines. We'll, we'll spend more time on those. Grace reigns in predestination. God, it is all by God's grace. And all of it is fueled by God's grace. Grace reigns in our calling, in our justification, in our conversion, in our, and one day in our glorification. It will all be by God's unmerited favor. That we will have not earned any of the blessings that God is going to give us. Amazing blessings. Triumphant blessings. Um, eternal blessings. We have, would not have earned any of them. And the provisions, I had spoken a little bit earlier, you have prevenient grace, which is preventative grace. You look back in your life, even before you were saved, and how God has preserved you from not spiraling as much as you could have. There's been a couple times in my life that it could have went wrong, as wrong could go. But God, in his prevenient grace, in his restraining grace, he kept me. 